0: Welcome back to another episode of the Money with Katie show, rich girls and boys, or should I say rich offspring? <laughs> I'm your host, Katie Yaddi Tosan, and today we're talking about how you, as a financially savvy person, trademark, <laughs> can help make sure your dear elder relatives are set up for financial success into their golden years. We did a Rich Girl Roundup a few months ago about how to plan for elder care, and your responses asking for a more thorough follow-up episode were overwhelming. In fact, much of the conversation we're going to have today was informed by the questions that you sent us. So if you've reached out, I hope you hear your quandary addressed today. This is probably because our audience is primarily in that 25 to 44 age range, which is the group, especially on the upper end, that might find itself in the sandwich years, aka that fun phase of your life where you're caring and paying for your own children's upbringing, but you're also responsible for caring or paying or both for your older family members too. So some of what we cover today may be outside the realm of your control. If someone has no savings entering their retirement years, it's going to be tough on the people who support them, and there's no sugarcoating that fact. There's no shortcut. But for many, it comes down to just knowing which questions to ask and which boxes to check. Estate planning, long-term care insurance, drawing down on your investments. It can be hard to know where to start which is why I am thrilled to welcome Kim Davis back to the show. Kim is a partner and managing director at the Bonson Group, a wealth management practice, and she last joined us on the show in 2022 to talk about divorce law and prenuptial agreements in an eye-opening episode, which we'll link in the show notes. She's going to guide us through today's deep dive. Before we get to the conversation with Kim, I just want to acknowledge that anytime you're mixing family with money, especially when it involves the recognition of our eventual mortality and the mortality of everyone you love in the case of estate planning, it can be emotionally charged, to say the least, but while it's never too early to have these conversations, it's possible for them to be too late, which is why it's more often than not a good idea to approach these topics sooner rather than later. That said, if you're worried it's going to get too heavy, you could also consider breaking it up into multiple conversations or intentionally scheduling a lighter activity immediately after. The point is, it's okay to take things step-by-step if the idea of introducing these topics into your family dynamic feels about as fun as participating in the insect-eating portion of that show fear factor. Some of us might have super-functional families, but you still might need a professional to help walk you through the conversation. A sibling that you can lean on, or a therapist, can also be very helpful, too, if you're feeling apprehensive. As our guest, Kim Davis, is going to talk about later in the episode, you'll want to hire a good estate planning attorney, and it does not have to cost an arm and a leg. You also might want to talk with a certified financial planner, too. There's also an elephant in the room underpinning this entire conversation, which is that the infrastructure around care in general, whether you're talking about care for the young or old in the United States— leaves something to be desired. And in a culture where the nuclear family is the norm and intergenerational living is rare, it means that most families are forced to seek privatized solutions at, well, privatized costs. Now, I wanna keep today's episode relatively focused on the tactical elements of planning in the current reality that we have, but I do find the way that other cultures approach family structure, for example, living in larger communities, perhaps with multiple generations coexisting together, and sharing the burdens of care and food prep and other things can show us alternative, potentially better ways to address some of life's most fundamental universal human needs without needing to be super rich or well-insured. So maybe we'll do an episode in the future that's a little more philosophically inclined. If you think that that's something you'd want to hear about, or if you have examples to share with us, email us at at morningbrew.com. Regardless, realizing you are financially responsible for your parents as well as your kids can come as a shock to an adult who might otherwise feel like they are financially cruising. So today, I'm asking Kim all the questions I have as a child of two real adults, because my self-image is still that of a 17-year-old as well as the many questions that we heard from all of you. We'll get into it right after a quick break. Kim Davis, welcome back to the Money with Katie show. We're really grateful that you are taking the time to join us again.
1: It is my pleasure, Katie. Thank you for having me
0: well, we definitely need your expertise today. So I would love to jump straight into the deep end first, because why not? And let's talk about the pros and cons of a product that I hear mentioned pretty often anytime we're talking about elder care, which is long-term care insurance. So I'm curious, who does this make sense for? Is it a ripoff? What are the best or worst ways to get a policy and just general thoughts that you have about this product? So,
1: this idea of long term care has evolved, right? And the reason it's evolved and people are talking about it more and more is because guess what? We're all living longer, mm. which is a good thing, right? And as a result of us all living longer, Many of us are going to have increased care costs as we age into our 70s, 80s, 90s, possibly 100. So when I was a young person in my 20s and 30s, I don't know if I ever really thought about how long my parents were going to live, but my mom and dad are now in their 90s. Wow. They're 92 and 94. They are in their home and they do have uh, care, which is very expensive. And I'll get into that later. But my point is this. In my 40s, I should have said to them when they were in their 60s, hey, what are we going to do if you need some care? So how are we going to pay for that? My parents do not have a long-term care policy. They did save money. They are not overly rich. You know, they don't have over a million dollars. And I'm trying to parse out the money that they do have and subsidize with my own funds for their care. So why are we talking about long-term care? How do we fund that? When you're planning for someone, there are so many different assumptions that come into the plan that it's really hard to have a one-size-fits-all answer. It just depends on all their other expenses. But just assuming in your retirement, you have somewhere between three and five million dollars and you can live off of that money, you can probably fund your long-term care. But if you don't have that, I tell a lot of my clients, so part of the financial planning that we do is that we're not only looking at your portfolio and trying to figure out the best way you know, to get you to the end game as far as your investment strategy, but we're also looking at your risk management what kind of long-term care insurance should you have? And we're also looking up how to set up your money, right? Because you will probably, hopefully, have a 401k or some sort of retirement money. But then you should also probably have a bridge account because a lot of people now are retiring a little bit early. So they need to have something before those RMDs kick in.
0: And for the listener, bridge account would be something like a taxable brokerage account, So you can access it before you're 59 and a half without any fancy footwork and your RMDs that Kim is mentioning. We talked about those a little bit in the traditional versus Roth episode, but that's basically where it stands for required minimum distributions. And so the government is going to look at balances in your pre-tax accounts and say, oh, this is actually too high and you're 73 now. So we're going to force you to start drawing this down and paying taxes on it.
1: And this is the thing, some people who do want to retire before 73, if they don't have a taxable account and they haven't kicked into Social Security yet, that would be what they're leaning on to pay their stipends, right? And so all of this comes together as to about how are we going to pay for that burgeoning long-term care that could come down the road. And so the thing is, I think everyone should look into long-term care if they are not able to realistically self-fund. Long-term care policies have come a long way. They used to be extremely expensive. They used to be for a finite amount of time. Usually they were for about five years. So you would get five years of long-term care and you're paying these very high premiums. If you didn't use it, you would lose it. Now they have policies that will go on as long as you need them. They morph into a death benefit if you don't use them. nice. So if you don't use the, the policy, then your kid can get some money as a like little insurance policy from the long-term care. There are two types. You can get one that has an inflation rider. Those are going to be more expensive on the premiums. And then you can get some that are just flat. So I'm getting one now that provides about $8,000 worth of care a month. It does not have an inflation rider, so it will stay at that finite amount but I can have it for as many years as I need it. So I couldn't need it for 10 years. And the reason they had to start these kinds of policies is that, again, people are living much longer. My parents could live to be 100. The point is I don't want my three daughters to have to start... When they're in the middle of having children or maybe sending children to college or whatever they might be doing in their lives... I don't want them to have to take money out of their personal budgets to worry about where the heck they're going to put me or who's going to take care of me, because I don't want to be a burden to them. So I don't think that they are a ripoff. I think you need to do your research. Not all long-term care policies are created equally. You need to make sure that you look for those hybrid policies. And I would say for cost effectiveness, obviously an inflation rider helps because You'll have more money when you need it. But hedging your bets a little bit as far as premiums versus benefits, you can get a better deal on the premium without putting that inflation rider on there.
0: So what age would you say someone should be if they're looking at this for themselves? And then my other follow-up question is, can you take out this policy for someone else? If you know that this care is going to fall on you financially anyway, could you pay for someone else's policy?
1: I mean, I think most people start should start thinking about getting a long-term care policy somewhere in their late 50s, 60s. Obviously, the younger you are and the healthier you are, the cheaper the premium is going to be. So 50s, I think, is realistic. As far as someone paying for it, the policy is going to be issued on the person who's using the care. I think what would have to happen is you would just have to pay the premium for them, but they are going to be the owners of the policy because they are the ones that are going to have to initiate and use it. When the time comes for reimbursements or however they're going to do it, and you can use long-term care. It doesn't mean you have to go into a facility. it can be for in-home care as well. I was going to ask, OK. yeah, so this isn't like you have to go to a facility where you're in memory care or assisted living. This is just for nowadays, most people want to stay in their home as long as they possibly can. You know, my parents have lived in their house since I was two. So they've lived there for 62 years. They've been married 70 years. These are people who have not changed many things. When I went to look at facilities for them to stay at, there were a couple of issues. My mom has dementia. My dad does not. So if she was going to be in memory care, he would have to be somewhere else and they wouldn't be together. Also, to have two people in memory care, which would not be fair to him, is very, very expensive. So when I looked at some of the really, you know, high-end ones, and they live in the Pittsburgh area in Pennsylvania, with memory care and all the things that go with it, it was coming in, you know, around $175,000. A year for the two of them. Mm. When I'm doing it at home, I'm using private nurses and we can regulate the hours because they do not at the moment need 24-hour care, but they need a lot of care. About 11, 12 can be up to 15 hours a day. That's coming in around 150K because you want to keep your help. So you want to pay them well. You want to make sure everybody's doing everything by the book. So, you know... It would have been helpful if we had a care policy, but thankfully my father, who was an accountant, saved money and has a nest egg, but I'm kind of splitting the baby. I'm paying for some and I'm taking some out of their money because like I I have to make the money last They could live another eight years. Mm -hmm. You may have your, maybe someone can pay a child or whatever, but the care policy is going to be in your name based on your health.
0: The other thing that I wanted to ask you about, it sounds like long-term care insurance is a fairly decent way, at least these days after it has evolved, to cover care and it's something that people should look into. Any other things that you would note as options that people should be considering when they are trying to figure out how they should prepare and save for expenses like assisted living? And I recognize that that question could be taken two ways. It could be for their own assisted living, and it could be part of their retirement plan. But for many of our listeners, it might be, I'm trying to plan for my parents' assisted living. So I'm just curious if there are any other methods or tactics that you would outline in addition to long-term care.
1: Well, the first thing I want to say too, because I think a lot of people are confused about this, Medicare does not cover long-term care, okay? So this is outside... Medicare. Medicare is mainly for hospital stays and inpatient care. And then the Part B of Medicare is for your regular health insurance for doctor visits and all those kinds of things. So there isn't really any other way to pay for uh, long-term care, whether it's in your home or in an assisted living facility, except through private funds. If you're abjectly not having any money, I mean, you have to really have not any money for Medicaid to give you any money. I think last year it was like in California, if you had more than a thousand dollars in liquid funds, you couldn't get Medicaid. You could have a house, but you couldn't have any liquidity at all.
0: And are 401k plans considered liquid In the eyes of the state?
1: Yeah, you can touch that. Okay, cool. That's an investment. If you have investments, you're not getting Medicaid. It depends on the state that you live in, but some states will not allow you to use Medicaid for in-facility care. Not all states allow Medicaid to fund assisted living like in a facility. It will cover things like personal care and things you need in the home, maybe transportation, but you have to look at your state. Every state is different. So it's a very tricky thing to use Medicaid and you've really got to be abjectly poor to get it, at least in California. So most people are using private funds to fund long-term care. And this is where it's getting complicated because like you say, if you have parents and they can't pay, then you're probably going to feel some pressure to make sure that they're taken care of in some way, shape or form. And so the only way to really do this is honestly to plan. And it sounds boring and it's not a panacea. It's not some, there's no kind of secret sauce to this. It really is sitting down with yourself. If you're of the age where you need, and like for me, I want my children to understand what I have and what I'm doing. So I'm getting a long-term care policy and this is what it's going to cover. And these are the assets I have and you know if i needed to go into a facility or i needed to downsize i have a home i have equity in it you know i might have to sell the home so you have to look at your net worth statement and then you have to figure out from all the things that you're doing as a parent as the person who might need the long term care okay you know what what is going to be my ball of assets that i can work with here some people may you know when i run plans i tell everyone who I think needs long-term care, I think you should get a policy because it's all well and good to complain a little bit about the premium, but if you're in your 80s and you don't have enough assets to care for yourself and you don't have someone who can come and take care of you, this is going to be a real problem. Also, with a lot of people, if they are overspending and not staying within their parameters, reverse mortgages are an option. So there are ways to get liquidity in to pay for this if you don't have a policy. But then you need to have your stuff very tight. You have to understand what pools of money you're going to be pulling from. So how much of a retirement do you have? If you had a 401k and you rolled it into an IRA how big is the IRA? How much money do you have in taxable brokerage accounts? Do you have any equity in your home? Do you have other assets or maybe you have rental income from things? And then if you're not capable of taking care of all those things, then you need to have also all of your estate planning in order. Who is going to take care of certain things and be your power of attorney and your business representative if you're no longer able to make certain decisions? Because that money is going to be the money that's going to be paying for your care. So in addition to the long-term care discussion that you have with your parents and yourself, you should at any age, especially if you have children, make sure that you have a trust that explains exactly who your beneficiaries are and that will escape probate Make sure you have a will. If you have younger children, because you can only put guardianship in a will, you cannot do that a trust. So, if you die intestate and you do not have a guardian appointed for your child who's under, you know, the age of eighteen, then the state will decide who takes care of that kid if both of you die.
0: I've heard this brought up before in these types of situations where someone might own their home outright but has nothing else or very little. Is a reverse mortgage? that actual product or function or tool, is that meaningfully different than something like a HELOC?
1: Well, I think with a HELOC, what happens is that you're going to get like a line of credit up to an amount. Okay. And then you can pay it over time. With a reverse mortgage, you can basically borrow the entire value of the house. But when you die, the house will be sold. You won't be able to leave it to anybody. If you've used all the equity because you paid yourself now there are fees and things involved but it's a little bit more forgiving because you can just keep drawing on it until all the equity is used up and at that point instead of it being say your daughter is going to get it or your son or whoever no one's going to get it because it's going to be sold to pay back the reverse
0: mortgage and we'll be right back after a quick break So we were talking about what Medicare will cover. We touched on Medicaid. You'd have to be basically destitute to have Medicaid cover any of this. I've heard in kind of the back alleys of personal finance world where people will reference these kind of schemes where parents will basically transfer all of their assets to their kids five years before. And then so it looks like they are on paper, they have nothing, and then they can use Medicaid for this. What does that process look like? Is that technically fraud? Is that a legitimate option or is that illegal? I mean, people do
1: do that. And I mean, if someone checked into it, is it fraudulent? Yes, because you're trying to negate the law by saying you don't have any investable assets. My only caution on that is, you know, if you are trying to go down that route, Medicaid isn't going to pay for some luxury facility. You're going to end up in a state subsidized facility, And I'm not saying they're bad, but this is going to be pretty bleak. But look, desperate times, desperate measures, right? I mean, if you really are up against it and you have a parent that needs care, you know, this is a real burgeoning problem for our country and for society because the population of older people is growing. And, you know, we have to get really, really serious about planning for our retirements it's as important as understanding your investment strategy. Because if you are in the middle of caring for your family and whatever goals that you personally have, if you're trying to pay for your own medical expenses that might be going up because you're getting sick more and health insurance covers a lot of it, but sometimes there are excess expenses, and then you have to start caring for a parent, well this becomes overwhelming and also a lot of women will frequently have to leave their work in their older age to go care for a parent because there's no one else to do it
0: yeah so let's go deeper down that rabbit hole so i think what you're describing is what i've sometimes heard called the sandwich generation is that you're trying to plan financially for your own retirement and your children and your parents simultaneously so i'm curious from where you're sitting how would you rank these priorities financially. I assume children do change the calculus, but anything specific that you would note there, or maybe for someone who's not going to have children, I'm kind of just curious about when you have these competing priorities, they're all clearly important. How do you address them when you have, obviously just by nature of income, you got limited funds, your your resources are not unlimited. Everything's so personal,
1: you know, about what our value systems are. But one thing I will say before I answer the question is if you are not married and you don't have children or if you are married and you don't have children, I always really think you should have long-term care in that situation as well, because you want to make sure that you have someone come into the house, that you can fund that so that someone can take care of you. But this is the thing. I always put my children's education first.
0: Interesting. Okay
1: even at my own expense. Okay, so this is the thing that I'm often conflicted about because far be it from me to tell anyone what they should be putting money into. So when I listened, and I'm not throwing her under the bus, but when I used to listen to Susie Orman, she would always say, put your retirement first. Don't worry about your kid's education. You have to put your retirement first. And on paper, that is the most sage advice anyone can give you. Of course, that's what you should do on paper. As a mother, for me... I put my children's education before my retirement. And so for me, that was my choice. Was it the best financial choice? No, it was not. I will probably work for another 10 years because I'm playing catch up from my divorce. Also, the choices I made with the money I made initially was to fund my children's education. And I'm very proud of them and I don't have any regrets. However, economically, probably not the best choice to make. But as now my kids are all self-sufficient, and so I have to weigh what I put towards that and what I put towards my retirement savings, and I am now pretty ruthless about this stuff, it means for me, if I'm going to be on a savings schedule, which I am, I need to be ruthless about my discretionary expenses.
0: I think that answer really highlights too how all three things that we're talking about, which is basically child care, higher education and elder care, and then, you know, also retirement. But I'm kind of thinking of those three specifically. These are things that not to beat a dead horse, it's not expected that you were going to bear all those burdens individually in other developed countries. There is support for people through your tax dollars to kind of collectively support those things that Everyone is going to have to come to terms with or somehow provide for themselves or their families, assuming they have families. So I do just want to take that second to highlight. I know it sounds overwhelming, but that's kind of because it is and that it's it's a bit of a tall order to be putting on individual people and individual breadwinners. Like I'm struck by your example where you've talked about your divorce and how you were having to also play catch up those assets get split. And like you were taking care of your kids for a portion of your marriage and didn't have all this robust, you know, savings yourself necessarily. And I think that a lot of people face that conundrum in the second halves of their lives. And it's like, oh shit, like I don't have a ton of time to get this together now.
1: And look, I could have defrayed costs if they had gone to state schools and maybe done community college and then a junior college and then gone on.
0: But even then, that is not cheap. No, none of it is cheap. It's not like even a state university is inexpensive. You're still gonna pay tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I mean, all of it requires planning.
1: All of it requires planning and sometimes people don't plan or sometimes they don't have the resources to plan. And so a lot of this is also, to your point, I don't understand why we as a society are not talking about this. Who knows if Medicare is going to be around in 10 years, but how long is it going to last? I don't know, you know, and so we are all at risk really. And nobody seems to talk about this, as you say, you know, I think in England and some in France, there are more pension programs that people get kind of like social security, but they also have just different medical structures that aren't quite as expensive. They are in taxes, I suppose, but as far as what you receive as an individual
0: or even cultures where it's like your family all lives together. Like you have multiple generations under one roof. So it almost, it's like you have your parents that are helping you with your kids and you might be helping with the parents. And there's just a little more interconnectedness between those layers, which I think given how individualist our society is in the U S it makes sense that that's the approach we've taken financially. (laughs) It kind of tracks, but that doesn't I think, make it any easier for the individual to really contend with unless you have a lot of resources. Okay. So switching gears, one of our readers reached out and asked about a continuing care retirement community. I've never heard of these. Granted, I'm not super well-versed in the space, uh, but I'm curious, (laughs) what do we need to know about those? Anything of note with the CCRC? Well, okay. So think
1: of the CCRC as kind of this living arrangement that can morph over time depending on your needs. So you can go in as like an independent living person living in your own apartment, and then you may need assisted living, and then some of them have memory care, and some of them have skilled nursing facilities. So as you progress, you have options within the facility to move into those things. So you're kind of guaranteed a space. Sometimes. The thing about these is that, first of all, they're probably the most expensive way to fund care in your old age because of the fact that they have all these different services that they're offering you. But you have to be really careful when you read the contracts because sometimes they're not guaranteed. Sometimes they don't have memory care and you know you don't know that. And I think a lot of people who find them attractive is because they, you can have like themed retirement community. So you can have ones that are faith-based or ones that are based on culture and art or your inch golf or whatever. So when you're still with it, right? And you want to go find a place to live. They have these 55 and up communities and they have all these facilities, right? And you might be able, if you're really, really, I mean, some of them could go up to like a million dollars for the contract fee. If they're super luxurious, you know, and you have spas and you have fine dining and you have, you know, top golf courses. They're like for people who just want to have it like fixed in. So the theory of these, I think is that, you pay a contract fee, you secure your space, and then you know that as time goes on, you're going to have a place to evolve as you may have diminishing health. Then the living charges, the average one now is around six to $7,000 a month, mm-hmm. and they will change as whatever it is that you need. Evolve. So, you know, obviously if you need more nursing care, it's going to be more expensive. I see. But you need to understand what the fixed costs are covering and how variable they are over time. And if, for example, if they do have memory care, do they only have limited memory care? Are you going to be put on a waiting list? And I think the other things that people are finding in these things now is that the theory was You'd be doing your independent living, but if at some point you did need memory care, you were going to move from wherever you were living across the campus to the memory care place. Now, a lot of people, once they get settled in their homes, just like my parents, they don't want to leave and go into memory care. They don't want to live in a facility. So they're having to accommodate that now because that would mean you'd have to have in-home care. So then you'll need to look at the contract to see, well, how is that covering? How is my monthly fee going to go up? And what is the the care level that I'm going to be getting. So there's a lot of nuances with these and they are very expensive.
0: So it kind of strikes me as like the all inclusive resort type style option where it's not necessarily that you're going to get everything you want, but that you're going to pay a premium for the convenience of having some of these things,
1: perhaps securing future services and keeping your place there. The other thing I would caution people with is, um, Sometimes the deposit or the contract fee is not refundable or only a portion of it is. So you need to really, really, really read these contracts very carefully because if you change your mind at some point or you want to leave, you may have plunked down a lot of money to secure that long-term stay and you might not get that back.
0: It's a big commitment. Okay. So Kim, if we were going to sit down and put together a checklist and I was like, hey, I haven't talked to my parents about this at all, but what would you say should be on my checklist as things that we should make sure we have? You've mentioned things like a will or a trust, an advanced directive I assume that there are probably inputs like, oh, you need to know where all those assets are. You need to know passwords to accounts or you need to know things that if your parents do get to the point where, oh, crap, dad hasn't paid taxes in three years. I got to step in and figure this out. What would you put on a checklist like that for someone who's going to have this conversation with their mom or dad? I think the first thing
1: you want to know is like about their estate planning and hopefully they'll be forthcoming about that. Do you have a trust? Do you have a will? Who are the beneficiaries? Who are the trustees after you die? Who has the power of attorney for all of the business aspects? Who has the medical directive powers? Who's going to decide whether you live or die? All of those things are important for everyone in the family to know, right?
0: And if they haven't done that?
1: Then they should go do it.
0: Is this an estate planning attorney that they would seek out? Yes.
1: And, you know, it doesn't have to be super expensive if it's basic, but... Everybody should do estate planning because everybody has things that they're going to pass on. And again, I can't accentuate enough for people who have children under the age. If for some reason they die early, you can only do that in a will. And then if you're older, you should have a pour-over will. That means everything that hasn't been put in the trust will then get poured into the trust by the pour-over will. And then as many things that can go outside probate will, which means it doesn't have to go through the court system. But you need to understand... If they are going to maybe lose their cognizance later in life, who is going to be taking care of all their finances? That is a very big discussion. So I would say definitely make sure all the estate planning is in order because if you don't have power of attorney, you can't do anything for these people. I have to always carry my power of attorney with me. Anytime I want to deal with a bank, anytime I want to deal with investments, anytime I want to deal with uh, the tax man, I Literally have my written power of attorney that I keep in my little thing when I go to Pittsburgh because I'm always having to whip it out. So that is a very important thing to have. So make sure all of that stuff is in order. To the extent your parents don't mind telling their kids, but understand what their investments are. Mm. What kind of accounts do they have? How are they set with respect to their home, their mortgage? Understanding their financial picture will help you, especially if you ultimately do get power of attorney, to understand how you're going to help them fund these necessary things. And then, of course, I know for us at the Bonson Group, we have electronic vaults for each of our clients, has all of their important documents in there. So make sure your kid knows the password or somebody knows the passwords so they can get into those things and all your documents are available to them so that they know everything I would just do a complete inventory of all assets, art, collectibles, mortgages, houses, rental properties, anything that they own, so that if for whatever reason you have to step in, you're knowledgeable and you're able to get as much out of their assets as possible to make this burden lighter, potentially for yourself, and also for them to be able to continue to live in dignity, uh, in their old age and just also understanding any debts that they may have and things one. that might come back to haunt you if you have to deal with them. I've been very lucky with my parents cause my father never had any debt in his life and he, <laughs> you know, never had a credit card. His guy walked around like a gangster. He always had a bunch of C notes, you know, <laughs>
0: <always> peeling off,
1: <laughs> so, you know, everyone thought he was in the mafia. I but, said it uh, before
0: and I'll say it again. King. <laughs> yeah. That is great. It. I'm doing that now. I'm yeah. like, this is
1: how I budget. I figure if I've got cash- You're C-note mommy. Yeah. yeah. I, I said to my <laughs> husband, I'm turning into my dad. I'm like, I am now walking around with C-notes. But I think knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say too, is if you are in a relationship and you have parents and you and your partner commingle money and you're a real unit- You need to have a conversation too with your spouse about how you're going to care for your parents and their parents and how that might impact the family budget so that everybody's on the same page and there's not a lot of resentment that goes down later in life. But to your point, this is so complicated and it's something that no one has ever had to think about until now because of longevity.
0: And I would just echo that you know, a state planning attorney, there's probably, you know, it's worth engaging with. What would you say, Kim, a specific type of CFP? Or is there any other professional that you would say is worth bringing into the fold if you're starting to have these conversations and maybe the situation's a little more complicated?
1: I would say for sure you need to go find yourself a good estate attorney. And they don't have to be exorbitant. There are a lot of very formidable estate attorneys out there that can do trusts, estates, powers of attorney. These are Mm -hmm. very normal things. And as far as planning goes, I think, you know, get yourself a good financial planner. If your advisor has a planning department or is a planner, you know, CFPs obviously give them the designation that they know what they're talking about and they're just not making things up out of thin air. <laughs> but, you know, doing a financial plan is so important because when I do these plans and we are a very planning-based business Most of what I do for people is enlightening them as to where they're going to end up. And like I did a plan the other day for someone who retired in their late 50s. We had done a plan before the assumption on expenditures was reasonable, got them to about, you know, a hundred, not with millions, but they still had some money. They don't have any kids. Yeah, I'd say that's reasonable. A hundred years old. They don't have to worry about legacy if they didn't worry about leaving anything to anyone. The problem was, is it? between when that plan was done four years ago and now, the expense assumptions are totally wrong by a lot. So more and more money was being spent. And so finally I said, okay, we're going to rerun this plan again. And when we did, it showed that when they were 85, they were out of money. And so things had to change like now. And also they need to get a long-term care insurance policy because they don't have children. And Like I said, this is now an emergency. I've been telling you this. You're not listening to me. Numbers don't lie. So having a good financial plan in front of you, if you look at a cash flow and you see at 85, you may not have any money and that might be exactly the time when you need care, that might inspire you in your younger self now to pay that premium. Make a change, yeah. Make a change and put some money towards a premium for long-term care because you're not going to be able to self-fund that. And that's the problem. If you can't self-fund it, then you don't have a lot of other options, really. You have family. You have your own resources. But obviously, if you can't self-fund, then you don't have that. You've got your Social Security. So perhaps you could go the Medicaid route. But, you know, it's bleak if you don't plan for this or at least think about it in some rational way.
0: Kim, thank you so much for lending your expertise to the money with Katie show, not once, but twice now. You were a very popular guest when you came on to talk about prenups. So I'm like, anytime <laughs> we're going to talk about something heavy, we're going to call in the big guns. Yeah. I say, like, can I talk about something happy next time? I don't know what that might be, but I don't next know. Next time we'll talk about a uh, vacation planning, <laughs> something light. Yeah, let's talk about vacation planning. <laughs> I think I'd like that.
1: Just, I, I have all the heavy topics, uh, but you know, hey, it's part of life, right? All the stuff. It it's like, I wish it wasn't, but it is. It is. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Hope you enjoyed this conversation. And before we go, I wanted to share one last note from a listener who had some other wise words to share. This listener's father recently passed away and she told us how important it was to him that he left something behind for his children. So as a result, they found other ways to pay for his care rather than drawing down on his retirement assets because it gave him peace at his time of death to know he was leaving something to them. So more broadly, she encouraged us all to make sure you ask what someone's preferences are for life's final transition. Do you wanna be cremated and have your ashes loaded into fireworks? Do you want espresso martinis served at your funeral and a playlist of only your favorite bangers from 2014? Some of these desires may be outlined in the documents that you're gonna prepare together, but talking openly about your loved one's wishes can help make sure you're able to grieve knowing you have given their earthly selves the last final hurrah that they wanted. We're gonna put our Kim Davis-inspired checklist in the newsletter next week, so be sure to sign up for that in the link in the show notes. And if you're not already subscribed, we share a lot of our favorite resources there. That's all for this week's episode of The Money with Katie Show, and I hope we have sufficiently answered your questions. We'll see you on Monday for Rich Girl Roundup. Our show is a production of Morning Brew and is produced by Henna Velez and me, Katie Gatty tossan with our audio engineering and sound design from Nick Torres. Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and additional fact-checking comes from Kate Brandt.